Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. Pastor, Pastor Tyler is going to come bring the word today as he finishes our sermon series, Fixer Up. Let's make Pastor Tyler feel welcome as he comes to share the word of God. Come on, good morning, church. Man, man, we are just encountering the presence of God this morning in a very special way. Well, uh, good morning. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to, to the book of John, John chapter 9. We're going to read a good chunk of scripture today, and we're finishing up our sermon series, as Pastor said, on Fixer Up. Haven't you enjoyed Pastor preaching on Fixer Up this, this month? Man, it's been powerful. And especially last week, 9 o'clock service, man, we, the Lord met us, and I'm expecting nothing short of anything less that God's going to do even today, this morning. But let's dive into the word. We're going to be looking at where Jesus heals a man that's born blind. And we're going to look at this, this man as a before and after and how it applies to our lives. Verse 1 says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born, born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the, out the tasks assigned, assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming. And then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with his saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said... No, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man who had been blind and could now see. So they called his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If, if so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. But we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. 
His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he is old enough, ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Verse 25, I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I do know this, I was blind and now I can see. What did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you do not know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Now, I wanted to read the whole passage. I know it's a lengthy passage, but I wanted us to get the context of what's happening here. And in chapter 8, is real, or chapter 9 is really a follow-up for a statement that Jesus makes in chapter 8. And in chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus makes this statement. He says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads you to light. And Jesus makes this statement in John chapter 8, and the Pharisees are going, well, how are you making this claim about yourself? And so Jesus makes this claim about himself, but in that moment doesn't try to justify himself. Instead, what he does in chapter 9 is he begins to walk out the statement that he had made prior. See, Jesus, by saying, I'm the light of the world, not only is he symbolically the light of the world, but that anything under darkness that he touches has to turn to light. So Jesus, in the next chapter, walks by a blind man who has been born blind. No one could heal him. There was no solution, but Jesus, the light of the world, was able to touch his eyes, and the man's eyes were open. His eyes were open. See, it wasn't Jesus simply saying who he was. It was Jesus proving who he was. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and then in chapter 9, he proves that he's the light of the world, that there is nothing too impossible for him. So the blinded eyes was seen as something that was impossible. You see, we all have in our lives a before and after moment. This blind beggar had a before and after moment. His before was that, was that he, was, he was stuck in his blindness and knew nothing other than not being able to see. But his after happened when Jesus came and touched his life. So each of us have a before and after moment, right? That we were one way and then God came and touched us and made us different than what we were before. Or maybe you're actually in a before moment right now. You see, because sometimes we can be in a before, which is before the breakthrough happens, and we're waiting for the after to happen. 
And so whether we are in a before or we are in an after, my desire today is this, is that, is that the words that, 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 that we speak today will stir your faith, will stir your hope towards Jesus Christ. So point number one, if you're taking notes, is this for every before, there is an after. For every before, there is an after. Verse 6, then he spit on the ground, made mud with, mud with the saliva, spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who would sit and beg? You see, for every before, there's an after. And what I love about the gospel is that Jesus will always meet us in our before. Jesus will always meet us where we are. He will always come to our before. Right? Before we met Jesus, we were lost. Before we met Jesus, we were stuck in our sin. Before we met Jesus, we were addicts and we had problems and, and we were stuck in our before. But the hope of the gospel is this, that for every before... There's an after. And you may find yourself in a before today. You may find yourself in a situation where you need Jesus to come. Well, the, 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 the glory of the gospel is that Jesus meets us where we are, but he doesn't keep us where we are. Sin met Jesus. What happened? We were found. After our pain met Jesus, we were freed. After our addiction met Jesus, we were given purpose. And if you find yourself today in a before, know this, that with Jesus, there's always an after. That Jesus will meet you where you are, in your pain, and take you to his healing. One of the things that we can really take away from the blind beggar is this, is that every suffering and pain in our lives is an occasion for the manifestation of God's glory and his purposes. Every situation that we find ourselves in is an occasion for the manifestation of God's glory. And what I love about this is it's very clear that just because we have bad things happen to us and just because we get sick and we're, we, we, we struggle does not mean that, that it was caused by our own sin. In fact, it actually says, Jesus says it wasn't because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. I've come to tell you this morning that your crisis is a setup for God to get glory in your life. Your crisis is a positioning for the glory of God to be seen in your life. But sometimes we want to run away from the crisis and run away from, from, from what's happening in our lives, the bad things that are happening. But, but Jesus is saying here, the bad things even that are happening in your life is just going to bring greater glory to God. It's going to bring greater glory to our Savior. You see, I, I, I want to go out on a limb here and say this. God let you be blind. God let you be able not to see. God let you at moments in your life to be broke. God let those people talk about you. God let it happen. Why? So that he could be glorified amongst your situation. So that the power of God could be seen. Why? Because for every before, there's an after. That he doesn't leave you sick. He doesn't leave you broke. He doesn't leave you in dysfunction. That he actually will pick you up 
set you on a right standing and take you to your after. And I'm not, we're not going to get into the whole theological debate. Well, does God cause bad things to happen? We live in a fallen world. And we live with, with sin all around us. But God lets things happen so the power of God can be seen in our lives. So when things come that seem impossible in front of us, may we not look and say, oh, woe is me. May we look at the problem and say, yes, my God is going to get greater glory now than he could have without me having this problem. May, may, may my God get the glory. See, I, I, I just have to come to the conclusion that your blindness and your sickness and the pain that you're going through is for God to get the glory. It's for God to be glorified. And it's going to happen for every before there's an after and God is going to get the glory. Titus chapter 3, turn with me there, verse 3 through 7. It says, once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. I love this. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and his love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of His grace, He has made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. I want to ask you today, have you ever had a before and an after moment? Each of us, we used to be in our sin, but Jesus came and redeemed us and set us in right standing with himself. With ourself, with himself. See, it's not about where you started, and it's not about what you're going through. It's about how Jesus has given you new life. See, with Jesus, the after is always better than the before. With Jesus, the after is always better than the before. This blind, the blind beggar, he could see now. And when Jesus touched his life, he was now living in a much better situation than what he was living before that happened. Now, it didn't excuse the trials. I mean, he had people accusing him and saying, you're a liar. In fact, the whole religious community turned against him. But I want you to know something, that when Jesus touches your life, your after will always be better than your before. And maybe you're going, well, well, well how, how do I know if, if I'm in my after or if in my before? Well, here's the question. If it's not better, he's not done. If it's not better... He's not done. If your situation in your life isn't better than when Jesus came into your life, he's not done working in your life. So you can hold on to the promise that he's doing something behind the scenes, that he's causing this situation to bring glory to God. If you're with me right now, go ahead and give God some praise. Know this, that your, your after is much better than your before. If it's not better, he's not done working in your life. He's not done working in your life. So for every before, there's an after. For every before, there's an after. 
And that just really stuck out in my spirit this week. For you to know, if you're in a before, all the promises of God are yes and amen, that you can hold on to knowing the after is much better than the before. And so somebody today just needs to take God at his word, take God at his goodness and his character of who he is, and to lean in to know that the after is better than the before. Amen? Point number two, don't question the before. Lean in to the after. Don't question the before. Lean in to the after. As Jesus was walking along, verse 1, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, what was this man, why, what was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Verse 3, it's not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. See, sometimes we can become so concerned about why bad things happen to good people that we can miss out on the opportunity for the power of God to be seen in every situation. See, what, what, what's amazing about this is, is sometimes we, we ask too many questions and need simply to understand that the ways of God are higher than our ways. They're higher than our ways. And so this blind beggar's here. He's got a problem. But with Jesus, a problem can take on a purpose. With Jesus, a problem takes on a purpose. And notice this. Jesus never addresses why the problem exists, but addresses the purpose that would be revealed through the problem. Jesus is, is you're asking the wrong question. It's not that, that it's because someone has sinned that he is ill. It's not because someone sinned him or his parents that he's blind, but it's that through the pain, Jesus, that God would get the glory. And, and, and so sometimes I wonder if we're, if we're asking the wrong questions. Sometimes we need to stop questioning why and start saying, God, you're going to get the glory for this. We need to stop asking, well, what, is it my fault? Is it my fault that I'm in this situation? Is it my fault that my family's not experiencing the grace of God or the, the health of God or whatever it may be? And we got to say, no, God's going to get the glory for everything. Because when we begin to question, the enemy gets a foothold in our minds where we then begin to doubt the goodness of God. Every question of why is a doubting of the goodness of God. Job, in fact, and in, uh, in chapter 28 of Job, uh, he's been questioning God. He, he finally makes his plea, God, why? And God responds to Job in, cha in chapters 28 through 31 of saying, do you know, were you there when I created the world? Were you there when I formed the mountains? Were you there? Do you know what's actually going on behind the scenes? And so sometimes we got to stop questioning and lean in to what God is doing. Jesus doesn't get caught up in the controversial talk of the Pharisees of whose sin it was, but rather he provides a solution to the problem at hand. So don't question your before, lean in to the after. And, and I, I find it interesting that, that to heal the blind man, Jesus grabs mud. Why mud? Why does Jesus bend down and use mud? See, Jesus is not simply 
performing a miracle, but he's setting the stage with imagery of the gospel and those that are lost. See, the mud actually represents the gospel, and when it approaches our lives, and those that are blind, when the gospel, when the good news of Jesus touches the blind, it causes them to see. But there's interestingly multiple people in this story. You have the Pharisees, who it's interesting that are really the blind ones in the story. And you have a blind man who was blind but could actually spiritually see. So Jesus spitting in the mud, rubbing it on the man's eyes, represents how many can receive Jesus and others cannot receive Jesus. The blind man represents a lost world that is blinded by sin, and some will accept him and see the light. And the Pharisees are looking at the light of the world. The blind man couldn't see the light of the world. And the Pharisees are looking at Jesus, the actual light of the world, but they remain blind. There's an actual blind man in the story, but he's not the one that is truly blind. The Pharisees were left in offense, and it stayed in there before while the blind man accepted who Jesus was and went into his after. See, mud can be offensive. If somebody comes up to me and says, God wants me to, you know, God wants to heal you and throws some mud on me, I might, I might get a little offended. Like, what, what are you doing? Why are you putting mud on me? Like, like, you know, I know we were made from the dust of the earth, but don't mean I want the dust of the earth all up on me, right? See, the mud can be offensive. The gospel can be offensive. The mud was an offensive act because why would the true Messiah need to use something so dirty? Why why would Jesus have to use such a dirty act to bring wholeness to somebody's life? Jesus is bending down into the mud to challenge the mindset of the Pharisees, to challenge the mindset of those that are around. See, offense is a great revealer. Offense is the great revealer. So Jesus will do things outside of how we think they should be done so that maybe we get offended a little bit. Well, God, why didn't you do this? Or maybe God heals somebody and uses somebody else but me. Well, God, why didn't you use me? See, offense is the great revealer of what is inside of us. And the Pharisees, their offense revealed what was in their heart. They tried to cover up a facade that they were holy, that they were righteous. But when they got offended, it came out that they were actually just full of themselves. They weren't trying to please God. They were just trying to put on a show for the world to see. See, the word of God will offend you to reveal what is in your heart. In fact, if you can read the word of God and it not offends you, I dare say you're reading it wrong. Because everything in this book comes against my flesh. Everything in this book comes against what I desire on my own personal life. See, all I got to do is go to Matthew chapter 5 and read the Beatitudes and understand that the word of God comes against my flesh and the gospel is meant to offend me so that I could change my way of living and that I can walk in the ways of God. See, the Pharisees wanted to walk in their own ways 
and take the word of God to, to do and put it how they wanted it to look like. And so what Jesus is doing is performing an offensive act. And we have to allow the word to penetrate our hearts, to cut away our flesh. See, I've seen many people stay in there before, just like the Pharisees, because of the offense from others and from the gospel. Don't stay in your before because of offense. Allow Jesus to heal the offense and take you to your after. See, the mud also reveals that some believe that the gospel is inadequate. Mud is such an, it's such an inadequate thing. We walk on it. We trample on it. Some might even say, you should use something greater than mud. Why use such a simple thing to do something so miraculous? Or in more practical terms, why leave the power to change the world in faith in Jesus when, when we can establish great programs that will change the world? You see, God has chosen the gospel to be the message that brings life change to people. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25 and 28. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest plans of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing bring to nothing what the world considers important. See, true life change doesn't come from human wisdom. It doesn't come from, from, from our own power and our own strength. True change comes when we find who Jesus is and the life-changing power of the gospel. Such a simple thing, yet it has the power to change the world. You see, the gospel in its simplicity holds the power for the world to be changed. And to the world, it seems foolish. How could a man revealed 2,000 years ago be the son of God, die on a cross, raise again, be the answer to the world's dilemma? Don't we need more of this and more of that, and if we just do this and we just do that, that'll change the world. No. The gospel, in its simplicity, holds the power to change the world. And when we allow the word of God, the mud, to touch our lives, to touch our blindness, we can leave our before and enter into our after. So I want to encourage you Stop questioning why and start leaning in to your after. Lean in to what God's doing. Lean in to how he's molding your life, how he's shaping your life. Lean in to the promise that he will get all the glory and all the honor. And everybody said, amen. Point number three today, stand on your after. Stand on your after. John 9, 7. Jesus told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. The man went, he washed, then he came back seeing. 
I want you to see this, is that Jesus puts mud on his eyes, but it's not at the moment that Jesus puts mud on his eyes that the man's healed. It's at the moment that he follows through with obedience, goes to the pool, he washes, and as he comes back, it's that he is seeking see, and the blind man is open. You see, sometimes in your life, you're going to have to go blind. Sometimes in your life, you're going to have to to go even when you still can't see and Jesus has already touched you. Because it's in the moment that you go blind that you are moving out of where you are and, and, and you're stepping out even though you don't see what's happening and you still go. You see, the, the, the blind man couldn't see what was happening, but he heard the word of the Lord, and he said, I may not see it, but I heard what Jesus said, and even though I don't see it, I'm going to walk blind because I heard the word of the Lord, and I've come to tell somebody this morning, you got to keep walking blind. You got to keep walking even when you don't see it. You got to keep walking in the promises of God. Why? Because the blind man didn't have to see it, he simply had to hear it. You don't have to say it, you simply have to hear it. Every promise, I love the song we sing, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Every promise in this word is a promise spoken over your life. So when you're blind and you don't see the goodness of God in the current situation, you might have to walk out in the blindness, but hold on to the promises of God that he's causing all things to work together for good of those that love him. Can somebody give Jesus some praise in this house? I wonder if there's anybody in here that'll say, I'm going to walk blind. I'm going to walk blind. I'm going to walk even when I don't see it. All I need to do is hear it. All I got to do. See, standing on your after often looks like walking blind. The blind man could have said, why did you put this mud on my eyes? You're Jesus. You could heal me. All Jesus had to do was say, he just had to click his fingers. But he chose to do a process. He chose to allow the the blind beggar to keep walking out in his blindness. Why? Because standing on your promises, standing on the after, often looks like walking blind. See, the blind man didn't see... The blind man didn't need his eyes to get into the pool of healing. He simply needed his ears. You don't need your eyes to get into the pool of healing. You simply have to hear what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying, I want you to go by what you hear instead of crying about what you have lost and you don't have. The blind man could have said, well, you still haven't given me my eyes. Jesus is saying, stop crying and mourning over what you don't have and start walking out in your blindness and see that you can step into your healing. That we can walk out, walking it out. Do you know, do, do you know what it's like to get something you've never had? The blind beggar gets his sight That's got to be an incredible, it's not like that he could, he saw till he was five and then he became blind or he saw till he was 40 and 
then became blind. No, he had never even known what it was like to see light. Didn't even know what it was like to see light. See, you're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be mistreated. But no one can argue with your sight. You'd think people would rejoice with the blind man that got sight. But they didn't. The Pharisees are actually throwing accusations at him. What are you saying, this Jesus? You know, He knew that by saying Jesus healed him, he would be expelled from the synagogue. He was misunderstood. He was mistreated. But the one thing the Pharisees could not argue with is that he was once blind, but now he could see. There are going to be people in your life that are going to try to keep you down, going to misunderstand you, going to mistreat you. But the one thing they cannot argue with is your changed life. No one can argue that you're walking in grace, that you're walking in peace, that you're walking in joy, and that you're walking in hope. They can argue up and down about who they can say who Jesus is, but they can never argue with your life, your changed, your changed life. So maybe instead of getting caught in these theological debates, maybe we just need to say, hey, we can argue up and down about is Jesus the way or not, but I know what the light of the world has done to me. I once was blind, but now I can see. I once was lost, but now I am found. People can argue up and down about who Jesus is, but they can never argue that you were blind and you can now see. That's the power of the gospel. No one can argue with our changed lives. So maybe you've been caught in this turmoil of, of, of a co-worker that's, that's trying to prove you wrong about everything. Or a family member saying, well, you know, why, why are you serving this Jesus? They can argue up and down about that. But if you want to prove them wrong, it's not going to become... It's not going to come from what scripture you can just throw at them. It's going to come from how you're walking out day to day. It's going to come from your after being greater than your before. It's going to come through you holding on to the promises of God. Even when they're saying you should just curse God and die. you got to be like Job and say, no, my God is a God of restoration. My God is a God of goodness. And we have to walk it out. Don't simply say you're the light of the world. Show you're the light of the world. We can't just say that we're Christians. We have to walk out what it means to be a Christ follower. We have to walk out what it means. Jesus in John 8 makes the statement, I'm the light of the world. Jesus stated it, but he then in chapter 9 walked it out. And us as people, as believers, as a body of Christ, we have to be people that are going to say, I'm not just going to be a person that goes to church and and just puts on great religious wear on the outside. I'm going to be a person that allows the gospel to take my before, change it all around, and move me into my after. I'm going to be a person that actually lives out the gospel. I'm going to be willing to lay down my own preferences. I'm going to be willing to lay down my own ways of life and how I think things should be done. You see, how I think things should be done are secondary to what the Word of God says. 
So we got to be people that will be the light. So Phantom, if I ask you guys to start making your way up. May we be people that not only talk about the kingdom of God, but that we display the kingdom of God. So just to recap just for a minute, for every before, there's an after. You might find yourself in an impossible situation in your before. Well, know this. Your after is much greater than where you are. Don't question the before. Lean in to the after. And stand on the promises of God over your life. Stand on your after. Knowing who God has called you to be. Who God has purposed you to be. Can we all stand together as a church family? As we're standing, I just want you to, uh, all across the room, just to close your eyes. See, the greatest before to after that we could ever have is asking Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. The greatest change, the greatest encounter, the greatest pivotal moment in our lives from before to after is accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So this morning, if you want to accept Jesus in your life, and you're saying, you know, I'm, I, haven't, I haven't surrendered to him. I'm living in sin. I know I need him. On the count of three, I want you to just slip up your hand. We're going to pray a prayer together, and you're going to enter into your after season. One, if you want to accept Jesus into your heart. Two, if you want to rededicate your heart to the Lord, just slip it up right now. Three, I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes, see that hand. As a church family, can we say this prayer after me? Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I've sinned against you. I need you. Come into my heart. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. I give you control of my life. I want to leave my before and enter into my after. You can have my life in Jesus' name. Everybody said, come on, can we give Jesus a clap of praise all across the room?